Does, does anybody secretly feel like that would make our uh, better, better use of our time when it comes to social media, right? I just get to get offended at it. Everything will be so much easier now. I don't have to type out the rants or anything like that. And uh, So, yeah, uh, if you're offended by that, don't worry. We're going to talk about how to lay down. Uh, your uh, right to be offended, and so we'll talk about today, so you can work through that as we're uh, as we're here this morning. Uh, but we're glad you're here. Uh, for those of you that uh, I haven't met and uh, who don't know me, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I've been gone the last two weeks, so it's it's great to be here. It's great to be back, and uh, we are we're actually going through a sermon series right now called uh, Alter Ego. And yes, Alter is spelled this way very intentionally. Uh, for those of you that know, the uh, altar was a place, especially in the Old Testament, where people would uh, come and they would bring their sacrifices, where they would receive repentance. It's where they would lay their life down. And uh, growing up in church, too, there was the altar calls. It was a place where you could come and lay down whatever you were carrying, whatever uh, sacrifice it. And ego is uh, what we're talking about laying down in these series. Uh, ego is basically uh, what you think about yourself. And you may have an inflated view of yourself or you may have a diminished view of yourself. But what you think about yourself, we're laying down and we're receiving what God says about us and what God says about who we are. So if you've missed the last two weeks, this is your first time here. Welcome. Uh, The first week we talked about laying down our inadequacies, taking our view of ourself, whether it was maybe either inflated or deflated, and laying it down and receiving what God says about us. And in this past week, uh, Pastor Phil walked us through laying down our need to control. And for many of you, you're still working through that. I get it. I'm doing the same thing. Uh, Pastor Phil actually laid down his need to control and gave me the microphone this morning. And so he... He may be regretting that. Uh, actually, you know, he's super gracious to give me and Jacob the opportunity to speak. And so we're very humbled by that. Uh, so today, we're going to lay down the right to be offended. And next week, Pastor Phil is going to close out the series as, we wa- as he walks us through laying down our need for approval. So I would definitely recommend coming back and checking out the series end next week. So if you guys don't know me, I consider myself a pretty, I don't know, easygoing person. I don't, uh, I don't think I get offended very easily. But uh, one thing that I, I wasn't prepared for, so uh, I've moved, we moved, my wife and I move up here. She's from here, but we moved up here a little less than three years ago. And I was not prepared for the drivers on 28 when I moved up here. And for me, I'm convinced there's two types of drivers on 28. There is the drivers that have places to go. So they're driving with intentionality. They're driving with maybe a, a certain pace because they have somewhere they need to go. And then there's other drivers that have no concept of time whatsoever. And I'm, I'm on the way to church. I want to tell people about Jesus. And these people are slowing me down. And I'm offended. And I got to repent about it. But it's funny. And, and if that's one of you this morning, if you love to observe the cornfields and the sky and birds that pass by, please don't be offended by my issues. The other thing that I noticed uh, coming here is that for some people, 
and this is on, I've seen this on 28, but also other places, is that right turns are, are not just a segue from one street to the next. Sometimes right turns are an event. It's like a, it's like a party. There's invitations to the right turn. And so we, uh, I'm driving and somebody puts on their turn signal and you think, oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for putting on your turn signal. You know, I see the distance between us. I've gauged it. I don't need to brake. I can maybe let off the gas and just kind of keep going. And then all of a sudden it's like somebody's trying to dodge an iceberg with a Titanic. And it's like, Yeah, you know, this is really therapeutic for me this morning. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for being a part of this. Uh, and and I get so I have to slam on the brakes, and I get so offended, and I get so frustrated that this event that I wasn't invited to, and I didn't even know was coming, was actually taking place. This right turn. <laughs> so I'm working through my issues. So God's good, and He's gracious. But isn't it interesting though how we are so easily offended we're so easily offended our culture is so easily offended and i think that there's something going on inside of us i think there's a pull inside of us and i think it has to do with this i think it has to do with our ego because there's something inside of us and it may be fragile and insecure and but it wants to assert itself and it wants to be right it wants to win. It wants to make itself known and assert itself. And a lot of times that comes at the expense of other people, right? Because if, if we want to be right, then someone has to be wrong. If we want to win, then someone else has to lose. And I don't, it's not even just that we're easily offended. I also believe that even in our culture, we, we sometimes go out and look for offenses, right? I feel like Facebook is the, and social media is the greatest medium for that, you know, because you could just be scrolling through your news feed and find something, that, an issue that you didn't even know about, and now you're offended. And now, not only are you offended, but you want to pass that offense to other people, and so you share it, and you pass it along, and other people are getting offended. And then you start developing maybe, maybe groups of people that you have developed friendships with because you are offended, there's a common offense that you have. Well, we don't like those people. Well, I don't like the way they do that. Or they go to this church. Or they read this version of the Bible. And we get so easily offended. So I want us to kind of open the conversation this morning and talk about the right to be offended. And I also want to talk about what the Word of God says about it. So I'm just going to pray over our time. And then we're going to get rolling. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much. Uh, for your grace to me, uh, because as I stand before all of these people, I know that I struggle with this. I know I struggle with asserting myself at the expense of other people. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would show me grace. And, Lord, I pray that this morning, the Holy Spirit, you would, you would speak to us. And you would tell us, Lord, that you desire something greater for us when it comes to our relationships. So this morning... Father, have your way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Proverbs, it's a short verse. Proverbs is great. You get these little nuggets of wisdom. But Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. It is one's glory. It is to your glory. It is to my 
glory to overlook an offense. You see, in, in a time when it's easy to call foul, when it's easy to, when we're quick to judge, easily to be offended, and that's maybe slow to overlook offense, the Bible is telling us that this is actually to our glory to overlook an offense. Now, when I say this, that doesn't mean that we just ignore the offense. We're not just throwing it aside like nothing ever happened and put blinders up to it. And what's interesting is that uh, this uh, overlook, this word, uh, in the Hebrew, it actually kind of works more like forgiveness. And instead, in another way we can translate it is pass over. So it's to our glory to pass over an offense. And you think about the significance of that when you look back at the Old Testament. And you look back at the Passover celebration where the angel passed over the offenses of the Israelites. Because they were not absolved of their sin, but the, the blood of the lamb covered that sin. And so they, the angel passed over. And so not only is this, I think, an opportunity for us to experience forgiveness, but I, I think it's also a wonderful opportunity for us to walk in and act in the character of God. Because it's the character of God that's slow to anger. It's the character of God that forgives the sins of thousands of the world. It's the character of God to overlook an offense. But when we are easily offended, we begin to live out of our egos. But when we are slow to anger, when we are slow to offense, when we overlook an offense, we're actually living out of grace. And more importantly, the grace that's been given to us. Now, someone that knew a lot about grace is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the Romans in uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 3. He says that, For the grace given me. I want us to pause there and think about Paul's situation. Had God extended Paul grace? I mean, many of you know his story. He started out persecuting, killing the people that followed Jesus. He was breaking up families. He was throwing people in prison. His mandate was to destroy the movement of the Jesus followers. And God had showed him grace. Think about the grace that he got from other people. Once coming back to the church now, he experienced so much grace from other people to the point where he became a pillar of the faith, a, a person that they were sending out on missionary journeys to plant churches, to increase the movement that is happening in Jerusalem and spread it throughout the world. Paul had received a lot of grace from other people. So he says, because or for the grace that was given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought do not think of yourself through your ego, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. Just like what Paul experienced, haven't we experienced the same? Haven't we been given so much grace from God? Think about our interaction with people. Haven't we been given so much grace from others? Don't we want grace from other people? And so because the grace that he was given, Paul's perspective 
on his self changed. And I think when our perspective changes, when we see who we are, when we see what we've been given, we begin to interact with people differently. Now, I want to look at three points of application. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of things that we experience because of the grace given to us. We could be here all day for days to talk about the riches of God's grace. But I want to talk about three things, especially as it comes to how we relate to people because of the grace that we've been given. So the first thing I want us to look at is that because of the grace given to me, I will give others the benefit of the doubt. Because of the grace given to me, I will give others the benefit of the doubt. Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, I have this tendency, and you may have this tendency too, is that it's easy for me to judge people by their actions, but judge myself by my intentions. You know, like somebody will, will be rude to you. Somebody will be, will be terrible to you. Somebody will have an offense towards you. Somebody will cut you off and you'll think, oh my gosh, that's a jerk. Really? They, really, they're that important. Right? They've got to do that, okay? And we'll judge people by their actions. But when it's on our side and when, and when we're running behind because maybe some decisions we've made or maybe we've had some terrible news or maybe our child is just, out of control. You know, sometimes we don't treat people the way that we should. And sometimes we regret the things that we say, but we know that in our hearts that we try and we're trying to be a good person. And so we're judging ourselves by our intentions and we're judging people by their actions. And so I think what's really great about this verse, if you would put the verse back up, uh, Ephesians 4.2, is that when we make allowance for each other's faults, what we're doing there is we're creating space for their situation. That when we make allowance for their faults, we create space for what they are going through. See, because we have no clue what someone else is going through. We have no clue what they're experiencing. We have no clue what the hurt is going on in their lives. And so when we begin to make allowance and when we allow space for that, then it, we, we interact with them with compassion because hurt people hurt people. We've all heard that, right? And so when we look at somebody as being wounded and they're lashing out out of their hurt, we have more and more compassion on it, just like we would have compassion on a wounded animal that is cornered and is lashing out because they're in pain and because of their situation. So, because of God's grace, because he has given us so much patience and so much space, we should give others the benefit of the doubt. The second thing I want us to look at when it comes to the grace that's given to us is that because of the grace given to me, I will not label others. I want us to just pause for just a second. And think, what would it look like if God labeled us? What would it look like if God took a moment in our life, a temporary time in our life, and labeled us permanently? 
would be interesting. I would be inter- introducing myself as, as Pastor Daniel, the liar, the cheater, the drunk, and so on and so forth. If God didn't give me a second chance, if he didn't label me because of the choices that I made, that he extended grace to me. But it's easy for us to pass judgment on someone else because of one decision they made, because of decisions they've made. We'll just label them and we'll permanently label them. And that will be the a sphere that will be the way that we interact with each other. That will be the defining foundation of the relationship, will be the label that we've given them. Luke 6, 36 through 37 says, Be merciful. Why? Just as your Father has been merciful, just as I've received mercy. Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven so for those of you guys that don't know um i spent about 20 years of my life in north carolina and um rough patches very much early on uh came to really know jesus as my lord and savior when i was 26 and uh from that i got really involved in my church and i was uh, uh one of the leaders in the singles group there and one of the things that i had in I, I love hanging out with people, smiling, conversations, different things like that. Um, but I received a label when I was in this group, and I had no clue about this label. I, I had this thing where, as a way of kind of acknowledging, you know, somebody, like, being thankful that they're there or acknowledging, like, a, uh, just a funny thing that they said, I would wink. And hindsight... I realized why it would probably be misconstrued for something else, but I was labeled then as a flirt. And everybody else was there, there was like this like community of people that knew that I was this flirt and like would avoid me or like and, and they would they would label me because of this. And this was not my intention at all. And I found out like a year later and I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me? That was not what I wanted to do, but it was funny. And so I realized the error of my ways and a lot of things, and I realized that winking was probably not the best way to carry on a conversation with somebody. And so I had a good friend of mine. Her name was uh, Stacy. This is a true story. And uh, she, uh, in an effort to kind of keep me accountable to this, whenever I would wink, she would slap me in the face. <laughs> this is true. I was ready to get rid of this. And the, that's bad, but... Unfortunately, I didn't realize this when we came up with the accountability, was that Stacy had no clue how to slap. And she would slap with, like, this part of her wrist. And so she would come across, and it would be like a blunt object hitting me, like a baseball bat or a two-by-four, and I'd be like, oh! Like, like just take my jaw out. Um, and so I stopped winking. <laughs> I understood the consequence of being labeled and stop that. But uh, I think on a more serious note, we can do some real damage to our relationships when we label others, especially the ones that we love. You may have labeled your spouse for a decision or a choice that they made years ago, and you will never let them live outside of that label. You may have labeled your kids or a family member And they will always be that to you. And you know what happens when we label somebody? 
is that we strip the transforming power of the gospel from taking place in somebody's life. We say, Jesus, you can't change that person. There is no way that they will ever be more than this to me. They will always be this. And so when we label people, we take away the ability for the gospel to actually change people. So because of the grace given to us, we will give others the benefit of the doubt. Because of the grace given to us, we will not label others. And the last thing I want to talk about is because of the grace given to me, I will forgive as I have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 says, says, once again, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And I think when we see that, a lot of times we can, we can categorize that level of forgiveness that we extend to other people. Because, I mean, we can forgive people for the small stuff, right? We can forgive people for the cutting us off in traffic, for the slow, slow, slow right turns, for the total disregard to the speed limit. We can forgive people for those offenses. But what about, what about those, big, those big hurts? Those deep, deep betrayals? Those wounds that still haven't healed. The abuse, the neglect, the pain. Are we really? Are we really supposed to forgive them? Is that even possible? Jesus, understanding the struggle that we can have with forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, says probably one of the more sobering verses in the Bible. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That verse terrifies me. Because when I am unwilling to forgive, I am blocking access to the Heavenly Father and experiencing the ability to give and to receive His forgiveness. So how? If that's the command, how is that even possible? Philippians 4.13 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So, a little, almost 10 years ago, my family went through a really, really rough time. We found out that um, there was a lot of deceit, a lot of lies, a lot of betrayal, adultery, all kinds of really, really terrible stuff that was wrecking our family. And... Not only was it all kind of coming to light for us, it was also something that once it came to light, it was still like every six months it was coming back again and coming back again and coming back again. And I distinctly remember a conversation that I had. 
And I got a call, and the other person was like, I'm sorry, I did it again. So sorry. And after multiple times of trust being broken, there was nothing in me that wanted to forgive, but there was like a glimpse in time when the Holy Spirit just pulled me out of that situation. And I saw me, and I saw my past relationships, and the amount of distrust, the amount of betrayal, the cheating, everything that I did, and I hurt and I betrayed people. And I knew, I knew in that moment that I'm so desperate for forgiveness because, because I needed it. I needed forgiveness. I had to have forgiveness because what I did was so bad. And so I just, I paused for a second and I saw myself and I extended forgiveness because I needed it. Not necessarily because this person deserved it, but I needed it. I needed forgiveness. You know, I said the saying earlier that hurt people hurt people. And I think that also goes with forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive others. That when we see what we've done, gosh, who we've hurt, who we've let down, we are in so much need of grace and forgiveness. There's a, um, there's a parable. It's one of my favorite parables, but also a challenging parable for me. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's in Matthew 18. And I'll just summarize it real quick. There is a king who's collecting all his debts. And a servant comes to him, and this servant owes this king $10 million. I mean, an exorbitant debt. And so the king's like, hey, pay my debt. Pay the debt, and you can go free. And he's like, I don't have the money. And so he's like, all right, well, I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to sell your family. This is common practice for people that were in debt in this time. And so I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to sell your family until the debt is paid, which is a life sentence. There's no possible way that anybody's going to pay $10 million while they're in prison, Right? And so he gets on his knees and he begs to the king. He says, please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. I, I'm so sorry. And the king has compassion. And he does the unthinkable. He just forgives him of all $10 million. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. You're free. That debt's no longer over you anymore. And then immediately the servant goes out and he finds somebody else that owes him $1,000. And he chokes the person. And he says, you need to pay me my money. And the person's like, I don't have it right now. Please have mercy on me. You know, give me more time. And the, and the servant's like, no, absolutely not. I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to sell your family for the money that you owe me. And when the king found out, he was furious. He called the servant and he said, you wicked servant. It's like you were being forgiven of so much and you could not extend that to any other person. So he, he brought his debt back to fruition. He threw him in prison. And when we hear that story, what the servant did to the other servant was not necessarily wrong. I mean, the choking out thing's a little wrong, but uh, the, the $1,000, 
If you owed somebody money, they had the ability, that was power that they had over you, to throw you in prison and to sell your family because you owed them that money. But why was the wicked servant called wicked? Because he failed. What he did was when he told that servant, that he, when he wouldn't show forgiveness to that servant, he was showing the value that he had for how much he had been forgiven. To him, that meant nothing. Think about that. The $10 million that he got forgiven of went nothing to him because he wasn't able to forgive the $1,000 that was right in front of him. So what about us and Jesus? When we think of everything that Jesus endured for us, when you come through the Good Friday walkthrough, we want you to be a part of that because it's a sobering reminder of everything that the creator of all things, the son of God, the perfect person, the only one that could live here perfectly, the one who had all power over everything and all authority over everything, what he did for us and what he did and went through because of his great love for us. When we can't give that to somebody else, what are we saying to Jesus? When we can't extend that forgiveness to somebody else, what are we expressing the value of everything that Jesus did for us? And so, I want to also just take a brief tangent and I want to talk about one of the barriers that I think that we struggle with when it comes to forgiveness because what is being asked of us here is a big tall order I'm not saying that we just need to go oh it's okay now all the pain that I've experienced it's okay so what Jesus is asking us is is very challenging but I think one of the biggest barriers that we have to forgiveness takes place in our heart And I think the root of it is that we don't trust God and primarily we don't trust God in the way he does justice. Because if God is truly just, then we know that every offense is going to be accounted for. Then we know that the awful things that people have done for us will give an account. But however, if we do not trust God, that God is actually 100% fair judge, then we will place a burden on our shoulders. We will place the burden of judge, jury, and executioner because that person cannot go free. And what's interesting is we chain ourselves to that burden. We chain ourselves to the fact that we need to do whatever we can to make sure they know how much they hurt us And they need to suffer because of it. When we fail to see God as a good judge, then that burden falls on us. And honestly, many of you may know that burden crushes you. It crushes us. We were not built for that. Uh, we're, We're doing a chapter a day. And a chapter a day is basically what a lot of our small groups and a lot of our church is going through. We're just reading a chapter a day. And we're in 1 Peter this week, this past week. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we get this wonderful picture of Christ and his perspective 
when it came to forgiveness and when it came to love and when it came to justice. So 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. So even if injustice takes place, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. You must follow in his steps. And then he begins to describe Jesus. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. The greatest injustice that this earth has ever experienced was everything that Jesus did on the cross. No amount of betrayal, slander, insults, abuse, or pain will ever eclipse what Jesus experienced because of who he was and what he came to do. So despite the injustice being tilted so far against Jesus, what does he do? He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Instead, he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. These deep hurts, they're so hard to forgive because we don't, we're not sure, we don't trust necessarily that God's justice will actually be served. So let me ask you a question. If it was to the glory of Christ to overlook all of the injustice and the terrible things that he experienced to the point where he was able to, on the spot, forgive his offenders, if it was to his glory to overlook all of those things, do you think you could do the same? If Jesus didn't lose any of his dignity to overlook, to forgive, and to pass by all of these these offenses, your offenses and my offenses, do you think that you could do the same? You see, for Jesus, his hope and his trust was firmly established in God, who judges fairly. And when your hope is in the Father, there's a cycle that happens. So if you think of it like three different arrows, when your hope is in the Father, and when injustice when terrible things happen to you, when things that you could get easily offended about take place, you are able to pass over those things. You are able to extend forgiveness because of the grace that's been given you. You have hope, not only in the good news of what Jesus has done for you, but in the justice, the ultimate justice that God has. So that's how we can forgive. We can extend grace to others despite what injustice we've experienced. But on the flip side, if you take that cycle, if you're hoping in something else, then as soon as an injustice comes in, as soon as a slight comes in, as soon as somebody says something or threatens something that you hold dear, you will immediately become offended. You will harbor bitterness. You will not allow forgiveness to take place because your hope is being threatened something that you are placing your ultimate hope in is being threatened by that person. And so you can't push it aside and love the person that's in front of you because that thing is what you are actually hoping in. So that has to be front and center. In closing, and as the band comes up, I want to ask you something. What areas do you find yourself becoming so easily offended 
What areas are you struggling or unable to forgive? What areas and in what relationships are you labeling people? What are you hoping in that is blocking your ability to extend grace to other people? Because see, if you're hoping in the happiness and prosperity of your family and those you love by who is running our country, then anyone that threatens that point of view is an idiot. They are what's wrong with this world. And you will fight and you will war and you will slander and you will tear down that person because you know what they're threatening? Your hope. Because that's where you'll find significance. And you know what's amazing is that's the, that's the same person that Jesus died for. That is a person that Jesus spilled his blood for. But you will slander them because your hope is in, your hope has been misplaced. Are you hoping that your worth and approval will be found in others? So you get offended, you become jealous when other people get attention. When you're not receiving what you do, so you get easily offended. You manipulate. You label. Are you hoping that your version of justice will come to pass? And so you chain yourself to that. You chain yourself to judge, jury, executioner, and you allow bitterness and unforgiveness to destroy your life. Because, oh, if only they could get what's coming to them. And that's your hope. That's what will finally bring you satisfaction. So what is the areas that you're so easily offended? Where is your hope lying that is instead elevating an idea Elevating the need to be right, elevating the need to approval, elevating even the even the prosperity of your own life. Is that blocking you from loving someone that Jesus spilled everything for? Because in first Peter chapter three, it says that if we honor Christ as holy, we'll be prepared to give a defense for what we hope in. So when you defend your hope, Is that drawing people to yourself and to Christ? Or are you distancing yourself from people when you're defending your hope? Are you pushing people out? Are you labeling others and putting yourself in a group of people that are commonly offended by something else? Because you may be be dying on the wrong hill. You may be defending the wrong point. And you may have missed the forest because of the tree. John 3.16 is an awesome verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But the verse right after that, John 3.17, says that this God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Now that's everybody. Just as much as God loved everybody, he also came not to judge everybody. No matter what political party they have, no matter what offense, no matter what religion they have, no matter what terrible things they've done for you, God did not send his son of the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. Save me. Save you. Save your enemies. Save those family members that you can't forgive. Save those people that have taken your innocence.
that have destroyed your reputation. So because of the wonderful grace that we have been given, that we have been extended, do you think we can look past these offenses? Do you think you'll change the way you interact on Facebook? Because that's not a computer on the other side. That's a person. And that's a person that may be lashing out in a hurt that they don't know how to deal with, and so they're just trying to survive. That's a person that Jesus loves. Are we able to give people the benefit of the doubt? Are we able not to label anybody anymore? Because we know that Christ has the power to change you and me. We know our story. We know what Jesus has done for us. So we can't label others. Can we forgive each other? Gosh, even the big ones. Because we have been forgiven of so, so much. We are the ones that have been forgiven of 10 million offenses and more can we extend forgiveness because of the grace that's been given to us let's pray Lord this is this is too big for me because I know I need this God change me change my perspective change me to see that I can understand that I've been given so much grace and so much forgiveness and so God help me push all the other stuff aside the ideas the positions even the hurt so I can look at the person that you love and say I love you I love you God loves you he wants to set you free because that's what matters Lord, help us to lay down our ego. Lay down our ego on the altar, God. I pray right now, God, that you are giving everyone in here the courage to reach out to somebody today that they need to extend forgiveness to. Give them the courage to say, call them up, meet them face to face and say, I forgive you. Not necessarily because they deserve it, because we need it. And so, Father, change us. Turn us into instruments of your glory as we pass over offenses. As we love others the way that you love us. And as we forgive others the way that you have forgiven us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the God of second chances. That we have second chances here right now. So I pray for reconciliation in every marriage that is in here. I pray, Lord, that we go out and we pursue because that's what you did when you went to the cross. You pursued the ones that killed you and betrayed you and lied about you and slandered you. You loved them, you forgave them, and you died for them. Help us, God, to do the same. It's your name we pray. Would you stand with me?